Hello, friends, and welcome to Azizi Podcast. I have a small favor to ask from you all. Please subscribe to my podcast on the app that you're currently using to listen to it. It will greatly help me out, and it will make it convenient for you to listen to my new episodes every time they come out. Also, I have a YouTube channel. Just search for Azizi Podcast on YouTube, and you will be able to see my conversations in a video format. Also, don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel. Anyways, thanks so much for listening. I so greatly appreciate it. My guest today is Fabio Campanella. Fabio is an investment and estate advisor. He's also a co-founder of the retirement tax and estate planning firm called Campanella McDonald LLP. Enjoy the show, everybody. Fabio Campanella, how's it going? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. And let me just actually close my window. I forget about that sometimes. Okay, so I'm doing well. I, I'm very excited to have you here in uh, on this podcast. You know, usually I do a lot of podcasts with uh, with sports personalities, but mainly like right. with on the business side. But I also want to like diversify and kind of like go into like just the usual business owners. You know, regular boring are, stuff. Not regular boring stuff, but <laughs> a different perspective, I would say. Right. Uh, so. And, and I asked a common friend of ours, you know, if he can recommend someone and he highly recommended you. Uh, so I just wanted to talk to you about what you do and uh, we can start sure. from there and go from there. Sure. I mean, what I'm currently doing, I'm running two businesses. I run uh, a wealth advisory business out of Toronto and uh, I'm also co-running like as a co-partner uh, of a full service accounting firm, public accounting firm in uh, Burlington, Oakville area. How did you get into accounting? All right. Well, bit of a long story. <laughs> so well, my father, yeah, my father's a CPA. My mother's a lawyer. Um, after high school, I messed around for a couple of years. Uh, what does that I, mean? I just partied, worked as a waiter, worked as a bartender, oh, okay. you know, had, had a lot of fun. Let, let's uh -huh. just say that. I had a lot of fun. Nice. Uh, much to the, to the dismay of my parents. <laughs> um, when I was 21, I went back, I said, okay, I'm, you know, it's the fun is fun, but I, I got to start doing something with my life. So I went to school, I went to university as a mature student and I took a philosophy degree. Mm. Right. And I said, okay, well, what the heck am I going to do with the philosophy degree when that was over? So I started looking at my options. So uh, you graduated with a philosophy degree. Correct. Wow. And, okay. uh, that's when I was, uh, looking at law school. So I started mm -hmm. studying for the LSAT, so on and so forth. And that's when my mother and a couple of family friends pulled me aside who were lawyers. And they said, listen, you don't want to become a lawyer. Why not? Well, they told me, they said, you're going to love law school, but you're going to hate the practice of law. Mm -hmm. Right. So I said, okay, well, these people are older, wiser, you know, and it's multiple people independently telling me this. So I um, kind of, hold on. So it's, it's interesting. I mean, usually a lawyer or a doctor, engineer, that's yeah. like the, the great profession to be in. What, I mean, I wonder what were, they, what were their arguments against it? Well, there was this. There was, um, my father had been an accountant for a long time uh -huh. uh, since I was a kid. Uh, my mother became a lawyer at 40 when when I was about uh, 15, 16 years old, okay? Um, there was a business there, my father's business. It was small, but it was, it was established and it was something that I could take over, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And when they were showing me, you know, people are usually thinking about doctor, lawyer, you know, in Canada, that's the sort of the big profession. Mm -hmm. When they were showing me how the money is actually made and how many hours are actually worked, um, 
the cost benefit didn't make any sense to me at the time. Now, when I'm looking at, I have clients who are lawyers making a killing, right? But now that I've been in accounting, you know, I'm 42 now, I've been in accounting for a number of years and, uh, I wish to look like you when I'm 42, to be honest. That's crazy. Yeah, I got a filter on. I got a filter. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and the flexibility of the, the profession is, uh, in my opinion, really good. Uh, the lifestyle that you can live, you know when you're going to be busy, you know when you're not going to be busy. So you can plan your year in that particular perspective. You mean accounting? But accounting, yeah, yeah. I like it. And uh, the whole thing is that I'm the type of guy I can't do one thing. Mm -hmm. I need to do multiple things. So it also allowed me to uh, get into finance, mm -hmm. right? Like re retail investment management, um, estate planning, those types of things, right? So mm -hmm. financial planning. Mm -hmm. So I'm able to I'm able to run both businesses. It, it, it's stimulating. I'm making a living. I can work primarily from home if I want to. Mm -hmm. I can meet clients at their place of business or their homes. I can go mm -hmm. to the office. There's a lot of flexibility. So I'm, I'm glad, I'm happy with the, with the choice. But really the choice was heavily influenced by family, friends, and my mother telling me, don't become a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Nothing against lawyers, right? but it's, that's just how the cookie crumbled at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you say estate planning, because I, I kind of looked into it as well before our podcast, but uh, yep. is, is that because I thought maybe it's a real estate, but it's mostly like everything that you have kind of asset right. uh, planning, like retirement stuff. Can you talk a little bit about that? What is it? Sure. Estate planning uh, is a concept. Uh, let's let's limit. L we'll limit the discussion to Canada and a little bit in the U.S. Right. Absolutely. So. There, um, there are estate taxes, direct estate taxes, let's say in the United States. In Canada, estate taxes, there are some direct estate taxes such as probate, but that's not super significant. But there are indirectly, you, your, your estate is indirectly taxed when you pass away. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when you die in Canada, imagine you have no spouse and we'll just use a simple example, right? Like, a single individual who has a house, a stock portfolio, and maybe a rental property. When mm -hmm. they die, depending on how they've left their, their estate, there's generally a deemed disposition of all their assets at fair market value. Okay. So, in the, and they don't have any children? They have no children, or let's say they do have children, they want to leave, and they want to leave the, the assets to their children. Okay. Well, you cannot have intergenerational wealth transfer from from parents to children parents to children over many 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 generations without ever triggering tax mm -hmm. because then what will happen is you'll have uh, every generation will have this ridiculous unfair advantage mm -hmm. in the marketplace right mm -hmm. so the mechanism the simplified mechanism here in canada is that there's a deemed disposition of your assets so you have a bunch of bank stocks that you bought for 50 bucks that are now worth a million dollars right? When unrealized. You die, unrealized, correct. When you die, it's as though you've sold those stocks and you have a big capital gain and you got to pay tax on it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Estate planning, at least my component of estate planning is primarily focused on the taxation of the estate and planning how we distribute these assets, either intervivos like in, in the person's lifetime or how we cushion the blow mm -hmm. at the time of deemed disposition, right? Mm -hmm. 
So let's, I'll give you an example. Let's say you um, buy a bunch of properties and mm -hmm. 40, 50 years goes by, right? And you bought these properties. Yeah, they've appreciated significantly, mm -hmm. significantly. Mm -hmm. And you want to leave these properties to your children. You right. don't want to leave cash, mm -hmm. right? Who's going to pay the tax? Where are you going to get the money from to pay the tax? Mm -hmm. Right. Or let's say you want to pass the the property onto your children now while they're in their 40s. Mm -hmm. Right. And you're in your 70s. Mm -hmm. But you still want to retain all the value to yourself to, to live in retirement. How do you do that? What's the mechanism to do that? Mm -hmm. Right. Estate planning will involve lawyers, accountants, uh, life insurance agents and financial planners to work together. To mm -hmm. come up with a plan on how to transition these assets to the next generation, mm -hmm. and that's that's what estate planning is. It's actually a pretty, it's a pretty um, complicated, but but um, but well worth it. I mean, if if yeah. I'm you know if I'm a, an individual that is approaching retirement age and starting to think about you know legacy and 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 you know passing on the generational wealth and all, I mean yeah. that's that's something to consider. Yeah, you know, I and and I don't know how I feel about it because. I don't know. I, it's been six months since I've been to Canada, so yeah. I'm, I'm not used to like heavy taxation yet. But you know, right? Uh, wait till the uh, till the <laughs> uh, yeah. I guess till your final return exactly <laughs> till it's till it's kicked in. But yeah. you know what's I, so? Let's say let's take, get your first. Uh, let's talk about your first example. With let's say you have a portfolio that appreciated million bucks, right? And yeah. then when you die, whoever is uh, accepting that million bucks, you know, your 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 children or whatever, they need to pay tax on that. On, on mm -hmm. that unrealized gain, you need to pay, to pay tax. Let's right. say, and I'm just curious, let's say they did it and then they decided to cash out. Are they also paying tax on realized gain? No, because what, conceptually what happens is um, the estate will pay the tax, mm -hmm. not the children, okay? So the estate will pay the tax in a very simple situation. Right? Okay, You'll so originally if like from the very like first million dollars, like it's not like your children paying tax. You still need to yeah. pay that tax. Okay. Yeah. The, the estate must pay the tax. It's and its the, own the kind estate, of thing. Exactly. And then the estate, the state is essentially a trust, mm -hmm. right? The, the estate trustee or the executor is another, uh, another, another terminology, right? Will, will file the tax return, the terminal tax return, mm -hmm. pay the tax, obtain a clearance certificate from the Canada Revenue Agency saying, okay, you're free and clear and distribute the assets. Now, those assets will then form, um, will then go to the uh, children mm -hmm. after tax and will form their new adjusted cost base. Mm -hmm. So if they were to sell them immediately, there would be no tax in their hands because the tax has already been paid. Mm -hmm. So the taxation system in Canada is designed for the most part to, to avoid double taxation. Okay. It, it, it's not because that it was my not, concern. <laughs> yeah, it's not the it's not the policy of Parliament or the government of Canada to double dip. Now, mm -hmm. sometimes you know you may there may be some double dipping, mm -hmm. but because that's because the mechanism is difficult to work out mathematically, right? But mm -hmm. the overall policy is to not have double taxation. Understood. Okay. So uh, I'm just gonna I want to go back to your. Uh, basically your resume i don't want to go you know, too too deep into, into details, yeah, into yeah. details uh, but i don't want i want to talk about you as a person so sure. uh 
at what point, because I, I looked through your, uh, through your LinkedIn profile just to kind of track your profession, yeah. and, I, and I saw that, you know, you, you were moving pretty fast and you were moving through different companies, including uh, PwC, which is mm-hmm. the, one of the big four accounting firms. Uh, but then you sort of ventured out on your own. Um, at what point did, were, did you like, did you decide that, you know, you have that confidence to basically have your own business? And what exactly what exactly contributed to that? And did you did you have any partners for that? Yeah. Um, so what gave me the confidence? Um, probably stupidity. So it was <laughs> a risk. Knowing, yeah, not knowing what was involved, um, uh-huh. and probably uh, just just being green and naive. Because it sounds like you're <laughs> almost yeah. regretting it. No, no, no. I, 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 it was the best decision I ever made. Okay. Uh, to be honest with you, but uh, not having the fear because not know of not knowing what it what it actually involved. You know, I, I quit. Um, I quit work uh, at Harmonic, uh, which is a, a, a hedge fund administration company. I quit. I had a good job. I had a good salary. Right. It, it was secure. And I quit. I had a, a mortgage. I had bills to pay, and I had no way to make any money. Mm-hmm. I had to. I had to figure it out for myself. And not knowing how difficult it was. So you first quit, and then you decided to think about how to make money. Yeah, <laughs> I, I said, you know, if I I can't do this on the side and ramp it up, I need to quit and and be thrown to the lions and figure it out. Okay. Which was probably a crazy idea, right? But uh, I ended up, I ended up being okay, but it, it, it was stressful. Mm-hmm. So uh, to tell you the, the truth, uh, probably it, it was being naive mm-hmm. is what gave me the confidence. I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but I said, look, I believe in myself and I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Right? So, and, it sounds like you're downplaying your entrepreneurial spirit that is very, you know, admired in a lot of people and you don't actually come across very often. Well, yeah. The other thing is I grew up with my, my father has, you know, he immigrated to Canada when he was uh, maybe 20, 21 years old. Oh, where um, from? from? From Italy, okay. from, from Southern Italy. And uh, I mean, he had just finished in, an engineering degree, um, came to Canada, got a job, hated working for people and was an entrepreneur from then on. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's in my genes, mm-hmm. right? So that, that's the other thing I said, well, if my father could do it, he right. couldn't speak a lick of English, then, you know, I'm born here. I have an education here. I should be able to do it as well. That, that probably gave me confidence as well. Right. We tend to look up to our fathers as an example, you know, of what we want to do. And that gives us confidence as well. But that's awesome. So tell me more about this. When you started, um, what's, what's your business right now? What's, what's the name of the company and where are you located? Sure. And what exactly is the nature of the business? You said estate planning, but maybe there's something else to it. That yeah. So um, there's, there's two businesses. There's Campanella McDonald LLP, which is a full service public accounting firm. Okay. okay. That offers, you know, audit, review, compilation of financial statements for entrepreneurs, private companies. Um, and Canadian and U.S. tax compliance and planning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then um, there's basically me. I have a trade name, Praetorian Wealth Advisory, but it's essentially uh, myself and a very small team, and mm-hmm. that's uh, essentially retail investment advisory and estate planning. Mm-hmm. Okay. Go ahead. 
Yeah, Sorry. and it would be like non-discretionary investment advisory. And you guys located in uh, in Toronto? That's Toronto, yeah. Awesome. So yeah. I just want to come, I basically fast forward to today. And I want yeah. to ask you, and primarily I wanted to talk about business in Toronto. We are right. currently in the, in, the, in the midst of pandemic, in the midst of coronavirus. Right. And uh, I want to know how do you handle this as a business, uh, as a right. business owner, as a boss? Uh, do you guys have a brick and mortar office where you go every day and there's like, uh, you know, several people, how many people do you have employed? Like, right. you, you tell me that. Right. So it's about, a, it's a team of 10 about, okay. Um, uh-huh. cause there are some part-timers, there are some subcontractors, okay. right? We have brick and mortar, but we're actually in between brick and mortar. Um, what does so that mean? We are attempting to construct a new office okay. amid, amid, uh, amid this pandemic. So it's not, uh, we can't access it at the moment because the construction is halfway done and nobody can go into work. Right. Right. So right now everyone's working remotely. Mm-hmm. So that, that is a challenge, uh, running a small business, uh, you know, an accounting firm, investment advisory, that sort of thing. It, it can be done from home. Mm-hmm. So if we rewind back to when this all started, when I started getting, uh, when the new, over the news, you know, the government of Ontario was starting to talk about uh, closing down the schools. Mm-hmm. That's when I said to myself, okay, we need to move and we need to move now. We need to figure this out right now. So that's you foreseen, we foresaw that before they even did the lockdown. Yeah. So I, I said, there's, there's been talk about this. Um, mm-hmm. I said, if they're going to close schools, that means this is serious. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I got out of the denial. I was one of those people I'm like, come on, you know, you remember the SARS thing back in right. the day. Right. Right. I'm like, what is this nonsense? X amount of people died from the flu. This thing is killing like five people in China. Like this is this is just news. They're just mm-hmm. but when when they started talking about closing down schools, I said, OK, you know what? I'm not going to be as a business owner. I, I'm not going to be responsible for mm-hmm. forcing people to come to this office. And then they get sick. No way. I got everybody to take their computers home. I called in my IT contractor and I said, figure out how to make everybody work from home, log mm-hmm. into the server, work remotely and securely so that my client data isn't, uh, right. it isn't good. You know what I mean? Going to get yeah, So I put, course. I put some money into that. Um, it, there were, it, it was a big hiccup because mm-hmm. you know, this is tax season. This mm-hmm, is our exactly. busiest season, right? Yes. But uh, we figured it out like many businesses figured it out and you just adapt, right? So this is an unprecedented time like this. Uh, we've never seen this in our life in our lifetime. Like, so I, I'd like to hear more about that adaptation. You said you've, uh, you've asked your IT contractor to sort of figure it out. How difficult was that for you in terms or for your team to transition? Did you have to implement some sort of a new software, cloud software that you can use not just from your work desktop, but also from your home? Uh, desktop yep. like anything like that yeah so we had to set up um number one i i don't want anybody working on their computer directly at their house right mm. uh, i want them logging into our server or into a remote uh terminal that that i can see okay that, so a portal exactly okay I, I don't know all the technicalities right but uh, so, for example, uh, it's like, okay, well, where are we going to move the server? So we had to find somebody's, uh, somebody's home that has the best bandwidth, the, the mm-hmm. fastest internet. So we moved it over there. We moved a couple terminals over there. So everybody, 
we have to figure out a way to make it work such that people can log in, access the server, because we, mm-hmm. we don't use a cloud server at the moment. So that's funny, because I was about to ask, right? you're using an actual physical server that you're maintaining yourself. Exactly. We're using a physical server that we're maintaining ourselves, And the plan was to move, migrate everything to the cloud once we go to the new office. Got it. But okay. we're not at the new office yet. So it's like we have to move. <laughs> we uh-huh. have to figure uh-huh. it out. Um, then it's, you know, okay, well, how do we have meetings? And do we actually need to have these meetings? That's a right? good question. That's a good question. Right. You know, do we, need to, do we need to physically meet with people? Do we need to have these Monday team meetings? Mm-hmm. Or does everybody know what they're doing and can they work independently? And what you start seeing in these situations, um, I think that many, many businesses, many businesses are going to be destroyed by this, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll put those aside and we can discuss those later. Okay. Um, but I think many businesses, especially information businesses or, mm-hmm. or professional services, mm-hmm. I think that many are going to adapt and become stronger. In what way? I think that what's, uh, I mean, right away, we started looking at inefficiencies and we're like, okay, what are we doing and what do we need to do? Let's separate that from what do we need to do and what have we just been doing? Mm -hmm. Do we need this hour long team meeting or is that a waste of an hour? Mm -hmm. Right. Do we need all these, all this software, all these software subscriptions that we have or are we just seeing it as, ah, that's, this is 50 bucks a month. This is 100 bucks. Who cares, right? right? right. Where can we cut costs? Because we don't know if our clients are going to go bankrupt and not pay us, right? Mm-hmm. So we implemented a new uh, engagement software where you, sign an, you electronically sign your engagement letter to engage us to prepare your tax returns or your financial statements, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And you have to put your... your um, uh, credit card information in at the beginning and mm-hmm. accept the fee at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then upon acceptance of the final package, I press a button and I get paid, mm-hmm. right? Rather than the traditional, okay, here's your invoice and send us a check. Or mm-hmm. So we've implemented certain new measures that, you know, we would never have looked into these things had it not been for COVID. Okay. But they, they're, they're building efficiencies into our into our business and Mm -hmm. they're actually helping us out and they're helping us reduce costs, helping us collect money from clients Mm -hmm. quicker, Mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Then we also started looking at the client list and we said, okay, well, wait a second. If we're going to be a little bit less efficient working from home, we got to start looking at the clients and saying, well, which clients are actually profitable and which ones aren't. Mm -hmm. Right. And maybe we approach the clients that aren't profitable and say, Hey, listen, you know, Maybe we're not the right firm for you, but here's a colleague that might mm-hmm. service you better. So right? is that because is that because you you want to mitigate your risk and knowing that the company is not profitable, you're sort of anticipating that you will probably not going to get paid for your services, and that's why you just want to be in front of it right away. Not necessarily because we our mindset has changed. We're saying, hey, look, like you know, we were we're in a growth phase. The, mm-hmm. the, the firm's been growing at like, you know, not exponentially, but it, it's been growing as fast as a small firm can, can grow. Mm-hmm. But when you're growing, you're not paying attention to necessarily quality. Mm-hmm. So now we're sitting back and we're saying, well, do we actually need to grow? Right? Like, do we actually need to grow? Or can we just 
at the end of the day, what matters is the bottom line, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, can we boost up the bottom line without having to increase the amount of work we're doing by mm-hmm. offering, by matching our personalities and our skill set with the right types of clients? Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, we're getting clients amid this, amid this COVID, mm-hmm. right? Do you think... Do you think that's uh, despite COVID or because of COVID or was that you have the influx of, of probably, clients? probably both. It's, it's hard for me. To, I don't have the data. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have the actual data, but I think it's both. I mean, we, we recently got a very good client, like I'm really, really good client. And they're like, Hey, listen, my accountant is just not good with technology and I'm not comfortable going into their office to meet them. Mm-hmm. And we, we rather do everything virtually. So they came in, we took a look at their systems and we made some pro- uh, proposals and they're like, this is perfect. And mm-hmm. we landed a very good client, right? Is that one of your selling points that you are, uh, your company is good with technology and they, they offer services that can be done remotely? Yeah, I mean, a lot of our clients, we were one of the first, I think, um, small accounting firms to implement, like uh, we, we, we've been using electronic signatures like DocuSign mm. for you know, 10 years. Right. It's been around for a while. Right. But exactly. yeah, not, not everyone is using it, which is surprising. Not everyone was using it yet. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there are certain things that must be pen to paper for uh, CRA purposes, but mm-hmm. whatever we could get done uh, electronically, we've got done electronically. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we've been using remote workers for mm-hmm. a long time. Okay. A long time. Like since the, the business is 10 years old and right using remote workers and remote subcontractors who log in um, and, uh, you know, do the work remotely for a very long time. Right. That's, so that's convenient because my, my question also was uh, whether, you know, the virus impacted your company as a whole in terms of retaining the, the staff. You know, you mentioned you have contractors and all, but yeah. over, overall, did, are, you, do you, are you keeping everyone on staff? Like even, like, you mean the contractors and part-timers, are they still there or you had to cut cut down on that as well we had to cut down a couple people mm-hmm. um we, we did because we just been like i said it was a perfect storm we're in between uh we're in between uh constructing so we're incurring all these costs constructing this uh place mm-hmm. uh, but construction is halted but you know we still have to pay occupancy fees which are ex- extravagant mm-hmm. um and it's there's just a couple of employees that were we were primed for a growth, a mm-hmm. growth operation. And we decided, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to tame down growth and we're going to look at quality mm-hmm. more so. Uh, so we just couldn't afford them. Mm-hmm. We just couldn't afford them. So unfortunately there was a, there were a couple of employees that we had to let go, but for the most part, the team is intact and the team is mm-hmm. working. Mm-hmm. Well, talk to me about the nature of your clients. You've mentioned there are small private businesses and some of them are looking for tech, tech you know, updates in terms of their finances. Yeah. I know that Toronto is currently becoming a hub for startups and for, for smaller you know, private businesses that are also service-based. I, you know, when I started, when I came down to this country, I started looking for a job and I had several interviews yeah. uh, and, and I was able to actually look at their business models once I was researching that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of them are very service-based. It's not, it's not very rare you'll see something like a retail or anything like that. But yeah. a lot of them are service-based and a lot of them are actually servicing you know, clients in the United States. Uh, 
mm-hmm. but more and more businesses are coming here from the Silicon Valley, from California, from yeah. any sort of startup hubs in the U.S. to Toronto because I think it's because it's simply cheaper. Uh, yeah, in my for sure. And yeah. So what? How does how does that impact you? Do you have yeah. any clientele in that regards? And if you can give some examples. Yeah, we do. We do. So um, we've had uh, we've had we have several. Uh, software developer, com- software mm-hmm. developers, um, uh, you know, with really good ideas, some AI companies. Uh, and uh, what happens with these companies, A, it's it's cheaper to operate here than mm-hmm. it is to operate in, let's say, San Francisco or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't need to be there. Um, mm-hmm. B, you have access to a well-educated workforce, mm-hmm. right? Um, and see, there's, uh, there's also government incentives for this stuff. If you're mm-hmm. developing original software, uh, you know, there, especially the, the shred program, the scientific research experimental development program of the government of Canada is very lucrative. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So, um, that program, uh, in essence, if you're doing research and development and scientific research and development and software engineering, software development is considered part of that program, uh, you could be getting up to 60% of your uh, expenditures back in refundable tax credits from the government, essentially a check from mm-hmm. the government mm-hmm. for doing that type of research. Mm-hmm. Right? So you couple that with uh, a well-educated workforce and with uh you know we're in the new york time zone mm-hmm. right the eastern time zone right uh and uh you know you're in a you're in a a good country that people follow the laws for the most part there's a, a low right. it's, amount it's of a, corruption West, it's, Western it's, country it's, with the same yeah. sort of values and laws and, and you know and exactly exactly so you know we're not going to necessarily go and get the biggest uh you know most tech companies in the world starting off here but if you're a small uh, tech company, like, mm-hmm. it's a good place to do business, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, and, and a lot of people are starting to see that, right? The infrastructure's here, like, you know, you're not worried about the government shutting you down or, mm-hmm. or you know, bullying you. I, I think it's a, good, it, it's a good place to, it's a good platform, Toronto. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, from our particular perspective, one of our issues is um, we get these companies, and we help them out in the first couple of years. And then I hand them off to one of my buddies at KPMG or PwC. Or Got it. Like that, right. Because then when you're starting to get, uh, you know, rounds of financing that are like $2 million, $3 million, $4 right, million, right. who the heck is Capital McDonald on the financial statements? You need to show, you know, KPMG. You got to flex. <laughs> exactly. You got to flex, right? It's because the investors are going to be like, okay, it's not that we think that these guys are inadequate, but mm-hmm. we can't trust them. They're not big enough to, I mean, to trust, sense. right? Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, but I, I'm fine. I'm, I'm happy to hand them off. I'm happy when I lose a client like that. Yeah, like, it hey, gives congrats, you a good re- man. You, reputation yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah, uh, but I'm happy for them. I'm happy for mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it means that the company is successful and they're ready to, ready to scale. Exactly, exactly. Do you see that? process slowing down amid the crisis i mean i'm just wondering what's going to happen now i feel like service companies are the one that prone to survive the most in in this sort of economy that we're like that where we're heading into uh would you agree with that and and if yes tell me why and if yeah. no tell me why 
So let's start with what I think I'm qualified to comment on and what I'm just speculating on. Okay. Anything, anything that is larger than a, you know, a small to medium sized enterprise, which would be anything larger than a hundred employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not really qualified to comment on that because I haven't really worked on that type mm-hmm. of stuff since my PwC days, which was 15 years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but for small enterprises, uh, the ones that are, are really going to be hit are the ones that are that rely on bricks and mortar and, and face-to-face. So hair salons, barbershops, stores that sell retail goods um, that are not necessary retail goods, like not food, mm-hmm. uh, you know, nightclubs, bars, entertainment, event centers, things like that. I, I, I feel they're going to suffer. Mm-hmm. They are suffering right now financially mm-hmm. uh, because there's a couple of things going on. A, their costs are so high because of the physical costs. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, B, mainly rent. Rent. Rent is a huge thing, right? And there is a program now. I'm not familiar with all the details yet because the it details just came out yesterday. Yeah, it just yeah. came out. But uh, there's rent, but there's also physical things. You know, mm-hmm. a nightclub requires constant repairs and maintenance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the nightclub require you know, the, the, the DJ equipment, the speakers, the so on and so forth. It requires a physical presence and physical maintenance. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it also requires people to physically be there. Right. So, of course. You, you know, so when I start at the top, I start with the unnecessary things, mm-hmm. right? So nightclubs, they're toast. Bars. Gosh, and that's so painful places. to hear. <laughs> yeah, they're, to- they're toast, right? Um, restaurants, they're toast, man. They're toast, mm-hmm. right? Um, you, you know, but then when I start getting to things such as um, retail goods, they're probably mm-hmm. toast too because people are, you know, grandmas and grandpas are going to start learning how to use Amazon, man, right? <laughs> So then I keep going down and I say, okay, well, what about barbershops? Right. You know, your barber's not going to come to your damn house. It's not going to be profitable. They're probably going to figure out a way, you know, masks, gloves, wipe down after every customer. Man, yeah. I, I, I cut my own hair. It's freaking horrible. I was right? about to ask you, how do you maintain yeah. your hair so slick? I, I just, I, because look at me. I'm just yeah, like, it's, a, it's a disaster, <laughs> right? My hair is like so long, but there's a, there's going to be a point where I'm going to be like, okay, I can't cut my own damn hair. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's kind of what I would say. There, there's three things. There's complete wants. There's a blend between wants and needs. And then there's needs mm-hmm. and the needs based physical things, food, so on and so forth. I have, I have a lot of, I have clients and a lot of connections in, in the produce industry, for mm-hmm. example, they're adapting man and they're going to make money. How they're are they adapting? They're adapting in the sense that they're taking they're they're like, Hey, look, we have to get food to people, right? It has to be get got. It, it's got to go direct to the people. Now. There is a demand not, for food, no matter recipe. what happens. Exactly. No matter what people are going to eat and they have to eat and they want fresh food. Mm-hmm. Okay. How do we get it to them safely and profitably? Mm-hmm. And they're adapting. So, you know, you go to the food terminal at the Ontario food terminal, uh, which is literally just down the street from where I am physically mm-hmm. uh, here at Parkland and Lakeshore in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're adapting, man. You see masks, gloves, curbside pickup, doom, 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 and they're making money. Like mm-hmm. they're making money. So they're going to, they're going to start doing well. And then what I suspect, 
fact is, if this is really the new world order, which it might not be, right? Mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. they come up with a vaccine, I'm sure we'll eventually, we're humans, we forget what happens and we right. go back to normal. Right. But let's say this is the new world order. Meal kits, you know, for people that just can't cook fancy foods for themselves at home. Mm-hmm. Um, competition with meal delivery. Right. Shut down the big restaurant, but you're a good chef and you can figure out a way to get a, a good, a good tasting hot meal to someone's home in it quickly and affordably. Mm-hmm. And be some good competition. There will, there will be adaptation there. There will right. be adaptation. Right. So those types of uh, like those types of things, I, I think they're going to adapt, but there will be failures. I, I think there will be failures in the small business realm. Big business, I, I, I can only tell you what I see on the news, mm-hmm. right? Which you can figure it out for yourself. Everybody mm-hmm. can figure it out for themselves. Mm-hmm. But I think what's going to happen is serv- necessary service-based businesses, lawyers, accountants, things like that, we're going to adapt. And w- I think we're going to come out stronger, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. I mean, even some of my, uh, my clients who are physiotherapists, for example, they're 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 doing assessments they've figured out how to do many types of assessments and and provide their services virtually mm-hmm. right right and using that, i'm assuming using some video like webcam you know sessions yeah i think there's like a telehealth thing uh, yeah, available yeah. Or, and then webcams and and people are figuring it out and if you're in pain like mm-hmm. you know you, you might not be a, a tech savvy person but if you're in pain you need that service you're mm-hmm. going to figure it out like people are resilient. People are not, not as stupid as they think they are. People are resilient and they'll, they'll figure it out. And what we're realizing is like, Hey, like this trade show, do we really need to get a hundred thousand people together to do a damn trade show? Or is this just an, ex- an excuse to go to Vegas for our vacation? Right. Well, I think that was always the case. <laughs> yeah. An excuse to go to Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> which, which I support full heartedly. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> Right. Uh, so uh, let me ask you this, because that's what I'm wondering about. I know that, I, I don't know, but I, I can speculate that around 10% of the workforce is actually those waiters and, you know, workers of the night scene, you know, nightclubs and bars and all that. Yeah. Uh, what's going to happen to them? I mean, we're talking about maybe college students or recent graduates or as you were like a high school graduate. Uh, yeah. what, are, what are they going to do? What's... Um, What's the, like, just speculate uh, with me for a second. What do you yeah, think? yeah. I, I think it would be really interesting to speculate. Do you read? Do you like to read? Uh, sometimes. I'm, okay. I'm more of a listener. I listen to audiobooks. Yeah, that's so do I. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, I speed them up to two times speed and I just blast Absolutely, them, but absolutely. What, did yeah. you, what have you read? What, 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 what got to your mind? Uh, what's coming to my mind is, uh, uh, I can never pronounce his name, Yuval Noah Harari, I think it is, um, and mm. his books. Sapiens, um, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, and uh, Homo Deus. Uh-huh. And uh, he speculates, and it, you know, the concept of a universal, um, a universal basic income, I'm, sh- I'm sure you've heard of that. Of right? course. And he speculates that, you know, the ability and our ability to develop algorithms to complete tasks that humans are, are, right now employed to complete will create something that he calls, and I hate to use the term, but a worthless class of people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And I might very well become a worthless class of person filling in tax returns and doing tax planning. It could probably be built into an algorithm. 
I, I would think, I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a scientist, right? But really, what is it? What is it that I'm doing? I'm looking at a situation. and I'm saying, if this, then that, if this, then that it's basically Thanks. an algorithm, yeah. right? And eventually, maybe I'll be worthless. So what do we do with these people that are, in essence, unemployable? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we got to give them money. Mm-hmm. They, they, they need to live. We can't let them die. Right. That's that's not the policy of a Western nation like ours. And maybe we're kind of starting to see that already. And, right. You know, you know, it's it's funny because I don't know if it happened in Canada, but uh, in the United States, you know, the, the pay, paycheck protection, uh, you know, the mm-hmm. payment, everyone just got to 100 bucks in their bank account. Yeah. And they filed the tax return in, in, in yeah. the past two years. Yeah, uh, it's it, it's the thing where they didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to apply. They didn't have to fill out any form. They just woke up one Give morning and money. like, oh, look at that! I have twelve hundred bucks in my account. Uh, kind of gave a lot of people an idea, a sort of like, oh, so it's possible. So the government has an infrastructure just to deposit cash into our bank accounts with no problem. Yeah. And and I'm I'm already seeing you know the conversation started about universal basic income because ideally, like it it, it does. People just got like a good, like uh, a physical example of it. Like, yo, like now, this, yeah. this is possible. My, although like my thing is, and, and that applies not only to like a stimulus package in America, but also in Canada, I see Canada also kind of have the same programs. Like they don't deposit it directly to you, but you have to apply a thing or something like that. But mm. e- either way, um, it's, it's money. So you can receive money from the government and they're announcing more and more stimulus packages, more and more, you know, is, uh, budgets are passed to uh, assist people in Canada. Um, where are they getting all their money from? I mean, what's in the long term? Like, how are we just going to end up paying more taxes, the people who are earning money and not getting that stimulus package? Uh, are we paying for this? Or are they paying for this? Like, how do you see this play out? Well, you know, then let, we can get into the philosophy, philosophy of what the hell is money? It's an agreement between you and you and me that some zeros and ones floating around on a server, you know, in a data center somewhere are worth, you know, this mouse and a meal, right? You're saying they're going to print it out. (laughs) Just print the shit, right? (laughs) Print the damn stuff. And and you think about it. I I mean, I'm not an economist, right? But because inflation was the thing, this, this thing that I thought about right away. Yeah, that's, I thought about it too, but then I said, okay, but then, you know, you print money, you dump it into the system, there, there's more money, and it causes inflation, but does it? Uh, you know, and maybe like a, you, you can have an economist on uh, as a guest, but there's also the agreement between individuals as to what amount I want to pay for something. Mm-hmm. So just because, and I'm speculating, mm-hmm. just because, uh, let's say me personally, if you handed me a million bucks right now, mm-hmm. 10 million bucks, let's say something that'll really put a, put a dent in, in, in my perception of reality. You handed me 10 million bucks unencumbered, no tax and said, Fab, here's 10 million bucks. You know, I'm not a fancy guy. Would I go to work tomorrow? Probably not tomorrow, but eventually <laughs> I'd go back to work. I'd okay. probably eventually go back to work. There's only so much you can... You know, it's only yeah, so long I get party and barred, especially, before, right? especially with this virus thing. <laughs> yeah. But, but the thing, the thing here is you just gave me this magical 10 million bucks. Yeah. Once I get used to having that 10 million bucks, let's say, 
am I really going to want to pay, you know, 50% more for a pack of gum? Probably not. I'm not going to let someone take advantage of me just because I have extra money. And collectively, if we all have more physical money out there, right, but we're all afraid of, you know, coronavirus 2022 coming and getting into a situation like this again, mm-hmm. will our Western consumer society really come back full force or will we be more of savers and will we be tighter with our money and be better negotiators looking for better value, mm-hmm. right? So I'm not sure what's going to happen. I mean, you know, if you look at it the traditionally, like, you know, you go to take economics 101 and you look, you know, okay, we print money, lower uh, interest rates, it's going to cause inflation because you'd want to get out of a, you know, and then you increase interest rates and, mm-hmm. you know, tighten the money supply and, you know, you, you, you put, 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 uh, put the, put water on the fiery economy, but maybe it's a whole new world order. I, I don't, I don't know. I, I could speculate. I could continue to speculate, but will there be a shit ton of inflation? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't I was, know, but they, they need to get the money from somewhere. Right. Right. I, I just had this idea or like a thought. What if the, like, you know how in Canada they have rent control, like you cannot really increase your rent for like five fifty percent or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What if they do the same for consumer goods and, and just they like, we, we're going to give you more money, but we're not going to allow you increase the price to sort of suppress the inflation. But you know, who knows, you know, that kind of brings me to another topic that I wanted to discuss with you when you started talking about, you know, philosophy, what is money? Kind of like, oh, like, let's talk about this. Let's talk yeah. about, let's talk about cryptocurrency. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I read this morning that Bloomberg just issued some sort of a statement or someone just dropped a phrase that, yo, mm-hmm. like, we're now officially saying that, that cryptocurrency is like, I think they, they said it's, it's gold or something. And I'm paraphrasing because I saw it in one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and all of a sudden, like, okay, so... You know they're taking, they're starting to get take uh, on official level. They're putting cryptocurrency on notice, uh, and and they've been for a while. But now, like yeah. they sort of, you know, that the whole cryptocurrency thing is going back right now, and it's not really collapsing. It's it's, it's at the seven thousand United States dollars right now. What mm-hmm. what is your perspective on on cryptocurrency? Is this something that uh, you, as a private person, would would want to have in your portfolio? And if yes, then why? So I have a bit of a tainted view of cryptocurrency. Um, so let's start with the beginning, right? Cryptocurrency, uh, my understanding is based on blockchain technology, right? Which is something that computer scientists, friends of mine have attempted to explain. You might as well be speaking in a combination of Chinese, Greek, and Martian. I don't know what the hell that is, okay? Mm-hmm. But um, at the end of the day, it's a currency, like mm-hmm. any other currency. And it depends on you know, the two people transacting agreeing to a value. Mm-hmm. Okay. So whether people want to pay with cryptocurrency or uh, currency of a sovereign nation, to me, it makes no difference. So I see cryptocurrency likely becoming a real thing. It's a matter of what can I buy with it? Mm-hmm. Right. And when I can start buying the things that I need, right. Uh, food or a house, as opposed to illicit drugs and um, weapons, like illegal weapons, when I can start buying the things that I need with it, then it's going to be something real. 
And then it's just going to be a currency like any other that people will speculate on, that people will use for hedging purposes, so mm -hmm. on and so forth. And it's a matter of the governments of the world mm -hmm. to get together to learn how do we control and tax this? Because ultimately, they have to be able to see what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. Because they need to know who to tax to get money into their pockets to build roads and to provide health care and so on and so forth. Right. And I feel like one of the strengths of cryptocurrency as far as what they sell on it, let's like be a Bitcoin, for example, it's really decentralized. Mm -hmm. So it's not being governed by any, any government. So they cannot really print more of it because there's only like, there's no more than 22 million Bitcoins in the world right. uh, in that are, you know, will be yeah. will, in the future will be mined or already mined. Uh, and right. so that kind of gives this protection against it's, it's basically going back to the gold standards all, uh, all over again. Right. And, and I feel like that kind of gives the control. And again, I'm not an economist myself too, right. but I feel like that's like a good huge selling point of, on cryptocurrency and Bitcoin in particular. I'm just thinking, I don't know you as, as, as someone who is uh, in wealth management and yeah. protection. Have you ever dealt with, with this cryptocurrency thing on like a scale where like, Oh, like, okay, this is something that I need to deal with seriously as part of my business. And actually, do you hold any cryptocurrency in your portfolio? If you don't mind me asking. So I don't have any cryptocurrency. I'm, I'm very, 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 I'm a very basic, I'm basic man. Um, I've dealt with cryptocurrency on a number of occasions. I've advised, uh, people that were, you know, mining, I think it was ether not Bitcoin, mm -hmm. but they're mining ether, but then it just didn't pan out because the electricity costs were too high. I don't mm -hmm. know, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. um, and I've reported for tax purposes. And this mm -hmm. was, this was interesting because this was before there was even a position by the taxing authorities on what it was. Uh, I've had to like figure out how to calculate gains and losses on cryptocurrency. Right. Me too. Uh, uh, yeah. I've done that in crazy. the past. It's, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. But I, luckily, I, like, for example, I didn't have too many, too much of that. Cryptocurrency, yeah. So I had to like figure it out basically on what's, what's the capital gain yeah. uh, on that. And, and yeah, uh, but yeah, it's, but, but it's I've seen, I've seen new. families uh, go into financial ruin with crypto. Right. Yeah. Uh, I've, I have one client that literally lost just under a million dollars trading crypto like uh, on his own. And uh, and that's the thing. We it's unprecedented. We don't mm -hmm. know what it is. Um, you know, I hear people with giving the same argument that you gave. There's a limited number of bitcoins, but I'm sure we can buy and sell with fractional bitcoins. Right. Um, and there's nothing stopping somebody from creating a a whatever coin mm -hmm. if bitcoins run out right so mm -hmm. if we hit the maximum on bitcoin then somebody's going to create another crypto and mm -hmm. so on and so forth over and over and once again you know we look at let's look at the philosophy of money right it's is it worth something to you mm -hmm. if something is worth something to you right you know if you like bananas but your buddy hates bananas Mm -hmm. and there's only one banana left in the world, you're probably going to pay a thousand bucks if you got that thousand bucks lying around. But the other guy, you couldn't pay him to eat the damn thing, right? Mm -hmm. So is Bitcoin, like all these cryptocurrencies, they're here. I don't think they're going to go away. I think they're going to grow. I think they're going to probably, there's going to be a use for them, mm -hmm. right? I just, I don't know where it's going to go to. And it's pretty interesting because, mm -hmm. you know, 
I'm hoping that over the course of my career and the course of my life, I, I get to watch it pan out. But no, I don't, I don't advise on it. Um, mm-hmm. my, I have a big philosophy. If I don't understand something 100%, I will not advise on it. Mm-hmm. End of story. And if I cannot explain the investment to my client and have them understand it, mm-hmm. I, won't, I won't put it in my client's portfolio. Makes sense. So, you know, I'm dealing with retail investors. And usually, who are these people? Who has money? People in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're not, generally speaking, they're not sophisticated. Because if they were sophisticated, they wouldn't hire me. They would do it on their own, right? So it's not, I'm not dealing with hedge fund managers, so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, hey, look, buy a couple bank stocks, buy a couple utilities, you know, round it out with some ETFs, things that we can understand, right? right? Collect the dividend, reinvest, let it grow. So let's talk about that because I've seen you posted some, some stuff or like you've been quoted on some things in financial yep. post, I think on ETFs. Uh, yep. I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of ETFs. Well, not a huge fans, but I understand, you know, why they are better than just, you know, buying single stocks, for example, um, on, you know, in some cases. So, but now we have this really weird economical economic situation where, I mean, I kind of see it's bouncing back a little bit, but people are still predicting that it's not over yet. And we're, you know, it might be all over for us again. What would, how do you approach this subject with your clients when it's, when you're talking about wealth management right now? I mean, obviously mm-hmm. a lot of them, uh, I would think they would be freaking out right now, whether they want to pull out, whether they want to, or other, other may be actually very bullish on like, okay, let's get in. Let's get some piece of action while it's still on a low price. How do you see yeah. the market and uh, how, what, do you, what kind of advice do you give to your clients right now? Basically, what you said is exactly what happened. You have a handful of people panicking, a handful of people that forgot that they have an RRSP ma- managed by me, and you have a handful of people calling up, hey, is it time to buy? Hey, is it time to buy? Right. right? And, and, you know, it's really about dealing with it. it the psychology of it and and dealing with people's personalities. If they're a panicky person, you advise them a little bit different than a person who's more of a gambler. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But you go back to basic principles. This isn't rocket science. It's not, it's not a precise, it's not a precise engineering feat Mm -hmm. managing money. Mm -hmm. Right. And anybody that tells you it is, doesn't know what they're talking about. Right. It's not about getting from a to B. That's how engineers work, right? Mm -hmm. How do we get from A to B? And it's very important to get from A to B without hiccups, right? Investments in dealing with investments and getting back to the swing, we'll kind of come to the ETF thing. Right. It's my philosophy is this, let's go back to basic principles, Mm -hmm. well diversified portfolio, live within your means, rebalance, rebalance, rebalance. You just, it's been shown by people much more qualified and much more intelligent than myself that mm-hmm. if you just stay the course, rebalance your portfolio, and you have a reasonable portfolio to begin with, you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Right? What do, you th- what do you think about people holding gold in their uh, portfolios as a hedge against downturns like this? Are you, are you seeing that increasing? Are you a proponent of that? I mean... And I'm talking I mean, about like I, gold I, yeah. ETFs, for example, not necessarily like actually bullion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holding gold bars, that's kind of crazy because you get robbed. But <laughs> yeah, like a gold ETF, you know, what the hell is gold? It's never going to pay you a dividend. Right. Right? It, it's, it's uh, you know, it fluctuates based on people's fears of the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to hold gold, hold gold. 
I don't fully understand it. Um, it's never been, it's never been a part of my personal strategy or, you know, things that I advise my clients on, um, via, you know, via ETFs. Many of my clients will have um, access to gold mine, you know, mining companies or indirect access to gold. But am I saying, Hey, let's go buy some, a bunch of gold. That's directional. I'm not that type of a type of an advisor. Right. 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 You know, when it comes to uh, the gold ETFs, the worst thing about it is freaking taxes. Because I don't know, like when I was filling out my taxes, and I and I and I, you know, had some experience with that. It's, it's they have some adjustments, and I don't even know. Like I have to always go back to to like the research on how to fill out taxes for gold ETFs. But there's always some sort of a fee that you have to pay that you never have to pay with other ETFs. But gold is its own thing that you have to like deal with. And I can't say right now what it is, but it's like always like some sort of a some sort of a thing that you it's an extra headache to have when you're filing for taxes with gold um i don't know just my personal experience yeah um, and, and remember those gold etfs um i, I there's i believe there's a one or two whatever that that uh track GLT yeah, uh, in particular yeah yeah so I, i'm not familiar exactly with all of them but one or two of them actually have physical gold in a vault to back right. up their position and i mm-hmm. think there's I think there's one that I ran across that is that uses derivatives. And I think that's what it is. I think that's yeah. like a storage fee or something like that to move gold or something like yeah. that to hold yeah. it. Yeah, that's what you had to and kind of put it on you. They put it on you when you file of the course. Taxes. No, 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 of course. Yeah, and there's there's also insurance. Mm-hmm. The, the, it has to be insured, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it can be a, it can be a complicated uh, it can be a complicated thing for Absolutely. sure. Yeah. yeah. Fabio, what, what's your plans now? What are you like, obviously right now we're just all sitting and waiting what's going to happen next, but mm-hmm. uh, assuming everything's going to go back to semi, uh, I don't want to say normal. Cause like, mm-hmm. I guess that's like a word that no one ever, or like, it's not cool to use normal anymore, but yeah. let's say we're going to go back to something that previously resembled, uh, what was happening previously. Like what, what are you planning to do with your company? And do you have any goals, benchmarks, uh, do you want to scale right now? You're focusing on quality, but maybe in the future you want to maybe do some mergers and acquisitions. Cause I was always wondering about accounting firms yeah. kind of aspiring to be one of those big fours by just strictly merging. And so this is the thing with accounting firms, at least in Canada. Okay. Mm-hmm. Growing, uh, scaling an accounting firm. It's a, it's a very difficult task. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's very partner based is what, what I found people want to know and speak to the partner. So to scale it, you, you kind of move out of accounting and you're getting into that kind of H and R block mm-hmm. type of service. Mm-hmm. And, um, I've found over the years we tried to scale. Um, we refused to acquire books of business. Um, we said, we're going to do it on our own. Um, we don't want to pay for clients. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I've found is, what I like is I like, um, I like having a smaller, higher quality book of clientele mm-hmm. that I know and understand and that, that listen to me and mm-hmm. take my advice. Um, so I'm, I'm uh, personally, the way I'm saying, you know, I'm, I'm, let's say I'm halfway down my career at this point. Mm-hmm. I see the remainder of my career, you know, the first 25% of my career was learning. And that's mm-hmm. when you notice when you look at my LinkedIn, 
I, I did two years here, two years there, two years. Right. I wanted to learn. I wanted exposure to, you know, when I was at PwC, I, I worked in the tax department, the transaction department. Um, mm-hmm. I worked in so many different industries. I, I worked in valuations. Same thing at Grant Thornton. I worked in a bunch of industries. Then I went to Harmonic. And so I wanted that breadth of knowledge mm-hmm. so that I can find what it is that I wanted to do. Because I don't want to just work for money. I wanted to do something that I, that makes me feel good about myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that I've figured it out um, at, around this point in my career. And now I'm going to streamline it where mm-hmm. there's two or three different things that I really like to do. And that's how I want to tail off now. So it's high quality clients, uh, enough complexity in the work to keep my brain going, but without having to work, you know, 16 hour days. Right. right. And I think that's the trajectory of my, of my, of my practice now where I, I'd rather have a, 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 you know, I'd rather have like a, a, a tight, high quality team than mm-hmm. 50 employees. Cause if I wanted to do that, then I would have just busted my ass at PwC and became a partner there. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Classic. <laughs> exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I left for a reason right. because I didn't love it. Right? right. Nothing wrong with it. I have, mm-hmm. you know, friends that are partners at, at big four firms. And mm-hmm. to each their own, right? It's just not my thing. Mm-hmm. Fabio, we've been talking for more than an hour now, and I just, uh, yeah. I so appreciate your time. And I just want like to thank you sincerely for uh, talking to me about these subjects. I know it's very serious right now, and people would like to know what's happening, and you know they won't like, they would like to hear opinions of the experts. And I consider you that expert. And thank you so much uh, for sharing your thoughts with me. All right, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Anytime. How can people find you or how can they find your company? Sure. Um, the best way to find me is just on the on my main website, which is uh, cmllp.com. Great. I'll put it in the lower third when, we, when I'm going to uh, post this podcast. Awesome, man. All right, Fabio, thank you so much. Stay on the line. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say goodbye to you personally as well. But for this podcast, I really appreciate your time. Thank you, sir.